Welcome to the Uncut Podcast. I'm Pastor Luke. And I'm Pastor Cameron. And this is the Uncut Podcast, where we have uncut and honest conversations about faith, life, and ministry. Uh, This week, if you're joining us, uh, this week's going to be a kind of part two, picking up where we left off the conversation from last week. Uh, Last week, we dove in and talked about kind of... um, a dialogue that was happening between Andy Stanley and Albert Muller. Mm -hmm. Um, Andy Stanley hosted a... And others, too. And others. You know, lots of other people have been talking about it. And, you know, Andy Stanley, influential pastor, hosted a conference aimed at uh, supporting and caring for parents of LGBTQ uh, kids. Um... And his, some of his decisions were kind of tossed into the, into the question of, like, is he, is he crossing the line into becoming affirming in some of the decisions that he's made? And so we kind of talked about that from a pastoral perspective, mm-hmm. tried to kind of read both sides of the story well and with some charity and we kind of gave some of our thoughts there Mm -hmm. um and so and a lot of you watched because i think that's our biggest episode thus far last i looked yep um so yeah is there anything we feel like we need to before we kind of at least in my mind i think we i had that we were going to talk about kind of homosexuality in the church more generally um, before we did that is, was there anything in your mind about the conversation still sitting with Andy and that whole conversation, like specifically? Well, I mean, not, I don't know that it, yeah, probably not specifically to that situation. Yeah. It's kind of been, you know, for at least social media accounts that I follow and stuff like that. There's, not not it's kind of died down yeah you know thanks to what's going on in the in the world yeah um at this time you know i don't know when you're watching this but there's issues in israel between israel and um palestinians and gaza right now and so that's kind of even in christian circles overshadowed what was last week's news apparently right um but uh there are i think still implications um for I mean, life and ministry that we can talk about, mm-hmm. like as it pertained here. I don't remember totally where we left off, but um, I do still have a lot of questions about um, about how because I think like on reflection about what we talked about last week, I think mm-hmm. ish. I hope it was clear that we see points of both arguments. Yeah. See, see the point of Andy's desire mm-hmm. to offer a conference like that. Right. Um, I see the point of Albert Muller's comments, yep. particularly around the type of speakers that are um, allowed to present at a conference like that. And, Probably a, another like aspect of his criticism to to Andy really is that his when asked point blank his position on essentially like affirming um, homosexual practice or marriage or however you want to however you want to um, phrase it that he believed like he he thought that Andy skirted the issue and that sure. he didn't offer any clarity. Mm-hmm. And he said things without saying things, um, and which I, I think is, is, I don't know if it's totally fair, but. Um, yeah, I mean, like, I would characterize Andy's answers to some of that stuff as, like, he kind of says things shorthand a little bit. Mm-hmm. So by, like, what he said is, like, what did he say? He said something around, like, the five New Testament passages that talk about homosexuality 
we believe or something like that. He said something to that mm-hmm. effect, which affirms conservative Christian views on sexuality, but that mm-hmm. is probably like the most roundabout way to have said that. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, it, it is kind of a, like, are we, you know, are, are you being obtuse intentionally, you know, like, you know, so. For any, yeah. And how clear does he need to be? Yeah. It's part, part of, part of, I think what, one of the questions that I that I have is like what is the big C church, the church mm-hmm. you know, in the world, what is its role or responsibility in calling out what they believe to be as false teaching or non biblical teaching in individual churches? Hmm. You know, like, it seems like most people who I, I'm seeing commenting on this or, like, offering their opinions or videos and responses or whatever see it as their job to confront false teaching yeah. or an, an anti-biblical or a non-biblical stance here. Yeah. And my question is whether or not that is, like, is that the role of a local church should that be a responsibility of the local church to call out another local church? Right. You know, I think I know where my, cause like I, I am not predisposed to, I don't partic- I am, I don't look particularly favorably. I don't look favorably on, what do you call those? Like watchdog ministries. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's another word for those like, con- I don't know. They, I know they, what you're talking about. Like yeah. They're, they're like theological um, ombudsmen's, right? They, right. They're just like in, internal affairs for the church. That right. They run around and um, find heresy. Yeah. And I can name, I can think of a couple blogs, websites. Sometimes these websites or blogs are dedicated to particular churches. Sometimes they're dedicated to like the church at large. And they can, and those individual like, theological watchdog ministry uh, things can have their own slant. They don't have to be conservative watchdog. You can, no. there are ones that are very much in a more uh, liberal kind of leaning. And so I, I personally don't love those. No, I don't either. I, I'm like, <clears throat> I, I came to the conviction a long time ago that like, if I, I'd never wanted to be involved in a ministry that was primarily defined by what we are against. Yeah. I just, that's, it's not the way I'm built. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's a healthy way to be or to operate. Um, and that's not to say that you never, ha- you, you know, I, I probably, my personality and bent is to just kind of avoid the whole conversation of what we're against sometimes. And sometimes that's really a good strength because mm-hmm. I don't think we always need to be like, I think if we're very clear about what we're for and championing that and showing the beauty and the truth of that, we don't always have to like engage in this kind of like anti-attack what we're against behavior. Yeah. But there is a space for that, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but more directly to your question, I guess, like, where isn't that the role of and I say this as a not as as we're both pastors of a non-denominational church um isn't that the role of the domination right isn't that the role of like church hierarchy you know at least historically right each church um has got people who are supposed to be overseers of the church and guarding the you know like doesn't that provide a space for that versus you know guarding like the yeah as like the the bishop would be the one that is charged with guarding the faith right um i mean do you think do you agree with that or do you think that was just kind of like always in word but never in deed or well yeah i mean like from its most i think from its most pure example and motive in scripture it is what it should Mm -hmm. be Something that's how Paul operates. It is how it is how Paul operates. Um, but you know, Paul's 
Paul's relationship with his churches is a little unique. Yeah, I don't think we should duplicate. I don't. Yeah. I, I don't love the justification of well, well, Paul did it. I'm like, well, yeah. you're not Paul. Right, you're not Paul, and you're not an apostle. You didn't see. You haven't seen the resurrected Jesus, right? And you are not. All of us are church planters, right? And so Paul was speaking from a place of pastoral authority mm-hmm. over those churches and congregations like and you would expect that the pastor would speak with authority over them i think maybe one of the examples that i would that i would maybe reference that would support the idea that other churches can hold other churches accountable which is also a sticky idea because we're like it's not the new testament idea of church is, is pretty different than what we're experiencing in church now yes yeah, but like Paul going to Jerusalem to confront the apostles about the inclusion of the Gentiles in, mm-hmm. or the necessity of the Gentiles to be circumcised or whatever yeah. in order to you know be partakers in the gospel, and Paul says, "I went there to confront them to their faces." Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, but we weren't talking about an established church at right. that point. Mm-hmm. We weren't talking about established pastors at that point. No, you know. We weren't we weren't talking about like the the, the there was no ecclesiological structure at yeah, that point. So, yeah, and and trying to find a direct correlation in the Bible to your modern ecclesiological structure is impossible. Right. Um, Titus is probably like the closest I can think of is like because yeah. the instruction Paul gives there is like set overseers in each town or each mm-hmm. church, mm-hmm. and so he kind of like. You know, there is some sort of yeah. structure given there. Right. And so, like, I don't know, when when I, I'm, you know, I'm trying to do, a like, a quick survey in my head, and I, I, I could be, I could be wrong here. Um, you know, someone could reference something that could show me that, oh, yeah, I guess you're right, is that, like, I get the sense that the especially the New Testament, um, asks communities of faith to guard themselves against false teaching. Mm-hmm. You know, like false teaching is springing up. Yeah. That needs to be opposed because there's only one gospel. Right. Right. So that false teaching that's springing up from that group of people from among you, mm-hmm. right? So there's a maybe like a faction of teach, teachings springing up that that needs to be quashed, and if it's not, they need to be kicked out because mm-hmm. a little yeast makes its way through the whole batch of dough type yeah. of thing. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily from someone else on the outside seeing what's going on internally mm-hmm. and coming and saying, Hey, you guys are not doing this right. Yeah. Um, now again, the reason that maybe that wouldn't have, maybe Paul would be fine with that idea. Yeah. But, but we don't have an example in, in the scripture of whether or not that would be okay, because we don't have an example in scripture, of whether or not that would be okay. Right. And part of the, part of the reason that I asked the question is because I think there's, there is a difference between, let, let, okay, let's say that Cameron Linehart at Conduit Ministries in Jamestown, New York held an unconditional conference. Mm-hmm. Would it get the response that others, would it get the same response? Well, no, cause we're in Jamestown, New York. Right. But we're not, uh, yeah. So why is that though? Because if the if the if everything else being the same is that like okay, it's the responsibility of outside churches to come in and hold accountable churches or pastors who are, you know, teaching what right. they believe is to be non biblical. Would I expect that there would be other pastors in the city here that would have something to say about it? Uh, probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah, probably. Um but would I expect the type of response? I, I don't know. And so I think a little bit of this, a little bit of the the issue here is who sponsored the conference, mm-hmm. what type of voice that they have and influence that they have, yeah, and like the magnitude of the message. Um, and so it 
it does make me wonder sometimes what the role there then of the church is because, okay, if it was a small church, no one presumably would really care too much. Right. Uh, and so is it, is it about overpowering a message mm-hmm. or is it about calling a leader to repentance? Hmm. Like, you know, is it, is it, just is it ideologies yeah. fighting? Yeah. I just need to be louder now. Yeah. Andy Stanley's been really loud about this. I need to come over top and be louder about the truth. Yeah. Or is it like the, um, you know, like, Andy, I'm worried about this. Here's where I think it's wrong. Yep. Here's where I think you're in <clears throat> sin. Here's where I think you're you're wandering from the word of God. Yeah. And I think the Lord is calling you to repent mm-hmm. of this. Well, you know, I I had a I wondered, right? And from our vantage point, there's a whole bunch of things that we don't see, can't know, won't know. Um, and I wondered if there was at any point during this there was any attempt um, by Moeller or Andy to exchange personal correspondence or um, conversation. Um, Doesn't Moeller address that in his podcast? Doesn't he say, we have not talked other than these back and forths? I think so. Yeah. Um, or you're saying you wonder if there would have been, could something have been avoided? Yeah. Okay. Well, or like, you know, because it's... Man, I, I read so many things. I listen to so many things. So I don't remember if Mueller mentioned um, the, like, calling, like, Matthew uh, 18, yeah. like, calling someone to account or something. Maybe he didn't. But, like, you know, the whole, like, putting someone on public blast as being the first thing that you do is different than having said, hey, man, like, you know, maybe we don't really have any, like, relationship or anything like that, but I'm, you know, I watch this kind of stuff, and I see you from afar making this decision. I think this is really troublesome. Could we have a conversation? Could we maybe, like, you know, have a dialogue about, mm-hmm. like, this? And, like, I want to present to you some of my concerns, not just because I'm concerned about necessarily your implicate like what you're I'm concerned about what you're doing for your church but then you know I think uh, Moeller's justification for one of the reasons that he does take so seriously what Andy's doing is Andy's influence for the church at large mm-hmm. which comes becomes a you know a, a, f- a justification for why the conversation I guess is being had mm-hmm. but so yeah, I part of me wonders is if, uh, and again, like I don't really know that there's a way of knowing if they've had any personal correspondence, but I think that that would be a that at least to me communicates a different tone, different set of intentions than, um, because I'll be because I'll be honest, like um, Moeller's first. First article, while I think he ra- ended up raising good points, doesn't look great at first glance mm-hmm. because it's a uh, preemptive, like, read the website, pluck out and assume and make assumptions about what it's going to be without having gone to the conference. The conference mm-hmm. hadn't happened yet. There's a lot of assumption there. And then there were several things in Andy's response that kind of told a bigger and more complex story Mm -hmm. than Moeller's Mm -hmm. original kind of call out really was telling. Mm -hmm. Um, And then Moeller kind of doubled down on the points that weren't necessarily resolved um, and kind of abandoned some of the other points that would have been like, that were a little bit less more minor now that the whole story was out. And, you know, so that tells a story that's not of like connection conversation, like, um, you know, personal calling of account. It's more of a public platforms 
going against one another and having an ideological bout of sorts. Mm-hmm. I don't know. What do you think? Uh, I think that's basically what I was trying. To, I think trying to say is that you know, Albert Mueller wouldn't be responding to anything he thought was non biblical from me. No, right. Yeah. I don't think he would see his role right as like I need to correct Cameron for this right unbiblical teaching. Right. I think it is pretty clear that it was because of who it was. And whether he sees it as, oh, well, because he has such a big audience, I need to protect his audience from from him. Mm-hmm. Or it's like a opportunistic, I need to, I'm going to need to jump in on this because I know it's going to be, it's going to get lots of traction. Yeah. I don't know. I don't want to be too overly pessimistic about his motives there. And I, don't, and I don't know them, but it seems to me that like, um, it does seem to me that that we I think we sometimes overestimate our responsibility in the like I just don't for me to I mean this with the best of intentions for me to care significantly I it would take a lot for me to care significantly about what another pastor is doing in their ministry mm-hmm to the point of this type of like response. Right. Like right. it would have to be extraordinary mm-hmm. for me. Mm-hmm. It would have to be unavoidable for me because like um I like I got the the, the amount of things that I have to respond to f- for my own congregation is like mm-hmm longer than I can reasonably do in any given amount of given period of time. And so now I'm going to like see it as my responsibility, as my calling, as my, as my biblical responsibility now to walk around making sure other pastors are doing the thing both theologically and methodologically that I think they should. Right. And when I see them not doing it, then I'm going to call them out because I'm afraid for their people. Yep. I don't, I don't buy it. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't buy that. Like, I think it's opportunistic. I think it's um, an overstep, maybe. Mm-hmm. Especially like you said, when Mueller's piece, his original piece, came out pre the conference, mm-hmm. and and maybe without any context as to why the conference was started, which I think Andy did a great job of telling that story. Mm-hmm. That hey hey essentially hey look world, we have been in this space of ministering to families of LGBTQ kids for over a decade, mm-hmm. and none of y'all cared then, right? None of y'all cared to get involved. None of y'all cared to to serve. None of y'all cared to like be in this space. But you care now. Yep. Um. So. While I don't necessarily agree with the way that Andy went about it in terms of like at least the advertised content and speakers. Some of the methodology. Some of the methodology of the Mm -hmm. conference. Like I don't think that – I think that Moeller's response was a little opportunistic. Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, I don't necessarily believe that it's the responsibility of every local church or every pastor to be holding right. other local churches or other pastors accountable. Mm-hmm. One, because I don't think that's how accountability works in the scripture. Like I don't, we don't get to just hold somebody accountable because we want to hold them accountable. Right. Right. Well, and even to use like even to use like the Matthew eighteen example, which mm-hmm. is always thrown out as like, well, Matthew eighteen, you got to go to them first, and then you got to take your brother with you, and like, yeah, yeah, you know. And Jesus is like, hey, if they sin against you, mm-hmm. he's not talking about like if there's any conflict anywhere in the world, the right thing to do is to go and and hold that person accountable. Mm-hmm. Like, no, yeah. it's like you sin against me. Mm-hmm. I sin against you. Okay, I'm gonna go to you and say, "You have sinned against me. This is what is, this is what you have done." Like, let's try to work together. You don't listen. Okay, I'm gonna bring a brother with me. You don't listen again. Oh, okay, I'm gonna bring it to the whole church. Yeah, you know, um, it's not about like a, 
Andy said something we don't like. Let's go hold him accountable. Right, right. You don't get to do, you know, like, th- there's not really a biblical example of that. You don't stand on super strong biblical ground, I don't think. I don't. Yeah, well, not, I wouldn't, yeah, like, particularly not from a proof texting place. Like, like I, you can't find the scripture verse and passage that gives us the prescription that, to, to go forth and act like this. But I'm curious then where how you would define then the conversation we've had the last two weeks, this conversation, last week's conversation. Mm-hmm. Like, I've got reasons why I think we're talking about this, but I'm curious, you know, why then are we talking about this? Well, I mean, I can tell you the reason I want to talk about it is because other people are talking about it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Uh, I do have thoughts on it, and I do think that, like, there is I, – one of the reasons I want to talk about not just this issue but issues like it is because I do know that there are people that look to me, mm-hmm. look to us yeah. for um, some sort of way to unravel the ball of yarn that is things like this. Right. And they don't necessarily know even how to begin the conversation. Yeah. And um, and even outside of, like I said, even outside of the um, the specific situation that we're talking about here, there are principles of ministry that I think are almost universally applied to churches or can be universally applied to churches, like the difference between drawing lines and drawing circles. Um, the responsibility of one, you know, pastor or church to hold another pastor or church uh, accountable. Um, the I think last week we talked a little bit about the like the ministry and theology of preaching. Yeah, and, we did. And who who we bring on our stages and who we mm-hmm. allow to preach to our people and yep. what is like. And so I I don't. I wouldn't I wouldn't expect that we would be adding significant in significant insight into this situation in particular. Mm-hmm. But I would expect that the principles of the topics or the ideas that are that are rooted in this situation mm-hmm. are applicable to our yeah. context of ministry. So well, worth talking about. Yeah, and I and that's essentially what I, you know, what I think about when we talk about these topics is <clears throat> that in a world that's shrunk because of digital media, um people are now you know, you know, uh, everybody's aware of everything else and everybody else, you know, like the fact that, you know, fact that anybody's aware of what some local churches are doing on a large scale platform like that is um i think unique to our age right you know if you were to go to this generation yeah yeah if you were to go um if you were to go decades back and you were to like like this would have happened and it wouldn't have been, it would not have, not everybody would have known about it as quickly or at all as they do now. And then there's that question of like, well, our congregation is being exposed, the people we know are being exposed to this topic, and they're trying, they're now having to find a way to sort through with it. Um, and And so it's not that like, like I don't think either you or I have any illusions that Andy or Moeller are listening to our conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're not trying to talk to them. We're trying to talk to those in our context and offer perhaps a way to to detangle it a little bit and think through it in a critical lens. Which, And to be honest with Andy, I think that's what he was trying to do with the conference. Mm-hmm. In fact, he states that. Yeah. It wasn't for... It wasn't for everyone else. Right. It was for the context that they were ministering in, the people that they had, and the, mm-hmm. you know, 300 families or 300 people or whatever who were sitting in this ministry all already. Yep. You know, so... Um, so, yeah, I mean, like, 
I don't know. Maybe you know we could probably beat beat the horse to death here, um, but <laughs> or beat the horse that's already dead. You know, whatever. <laughs> um, we we do not support the abuse of animals. We do not. Just to be clear. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, but I guess then you know what then does this mean in one of the questions that I think you were beginning to pose and I think is worth us talking about was um, that progression of sanctification of like, at what, at what point, right? Have you got yourself cleaned up enough that you can be at church? Part of the community. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I have worded down here as progressive discipleship versus immediate sanctification. Mm-hmm. Which one of those do we expect? out of the people that attend our churches. Yeah. Do we expect that they will go through a long-term process of progressive discipleship? And I think I said last night in Bible study that like you could take one step closer to Jesus every single day for the rest of your life and still not be close enough to him. Mm-hmm. Or you don't, we don't arrive at a place of being like, I don't necessarily agree with John Wesley on that, that we are like, I'm immediate. I am fully in a fully sanctified in this, mm-hmm. in this life. Um, so the question, yeah, the question there is, or therein, is um, if we know that there are people within our congregation whom we are spiritually responsible for, mm-hmm. whom we are in a pastoral relationship with, what what level of... Um, what level of sanctification, perfection of character and conduct, uh, uh, uniformity of belief, theology, um, uniformity of lifestyle. Yeah. What do we actually require of them? And what do we do with those who are who never move from the place who, who just never move. Yeah. And we know we, we have them in our churches. Mm-hmm. We have people in our churches who are, who are no more sanctified in their walk with Jesus than they were when they started coming to church 40 years ago. Yeah. Some, and a lot of times we're comfortable with it because their starting point was at a like nominal place. Right. So do we say to them, Hey, look, man, You've got to, you got to experience transformation through life in Christ, or we're going to kick you out. Mm-hmm. Like that seems ridiculous to me. It just <laughs> does, you know. And so, and so, like, but but the thing is, is that like we get this sense of like, well, there are there are sins that we will allow people to sit in. Yeah. Without really calling their non-sanctified behavior to account, we'll let people be prideful all the day, all day. Yeah, you know, we'll let people be um, gossips. greedy, mm-hmm. gossips all day. Yeah, um, but heaven forbid if a homosexual cu- couple comes and attends your church. Yeah, heaven forbid it. Well, you got to call that out immediately. Yeah, you got to hold them accountable. You got to show them the error of their ways, and they have to re- repent of their sin. Otherwise, expel the immoral brother. Yeah, I don't. I have like two voices in my head. Well, I, I old, I do as well. Yeah, I do as well. But I, um. But I, yeah, I don't tell me what your voices are saying. Well, one voice, one voice is saying something that I, I see a lot. And that is that um, the church, like church I interact with, like my experience is that we are willing to extend so much grace to the non-believer 
But the moment you become a believer, that grace disappears. Mm. Okay. Like I kind like I I see us much more willing to say like like uh, I can find people who are much more will I think like your average person will be much more forgiving of the person who does not profess the name of Christ mm. and their sanctification level mm. where their life is at and then once they become a Christian it's zero to nothing or not zero to nothing but zero to a hundred it's like okay well god saved you now you need to get it together mm-hmm. and we lose excuse me we lose any sense of like uh willingness to extend the gospel to those who have accepted the gospel mm-hmm. um was reading in second timothy and um paul's verbiage there is um so strong because he he says like if we deny Christ like he will also deny us so if we renounce faith we have renounced it mm-hmm. but if we're faithless he remains faithful to us mm-hmm. because he cannot deny himself mm-hmm. we have been saved even if we fall in we are faithless we are not faithful to the call that we've been called to as Christians mm-hmm. Christ will not be faithless to us. He will be faithful to us because he can do no other because it's in his character. And so that's a, like, those two phrases, right, side by side, are massive, like, almost feel contradictory, right? Because one says, like, if we deny him, and he will deny us. But if we're faithless, he will remain faithful. And I don't know, but the way I understand that is to be is like if you, as long as you profess Christ, as long as you do not ultimately deny Him, and you know we could talk about what that means, but like even like how do we take what Paul says there? We're faithless; He remains faithful to us. Mm-hmm. And so, like I hear that, and I see you know that the grace that makes the gospel possible remains true for the believer. I mean, it's Paul's argument in Rome, Romans, mm-hmm. right? Like, it, but but Paul also, right, he switches his argument and says, should we continue to sin so that sin may abound? By no means, right? Mm-hmm. Or, um, and, and so I also have in, the, in my head uh, this idea of cheap grace, Right, that's Bonhoeffer, right? Mm-hmm. And this idea of just like of taking what Paul said about grace and then not reading forward and saying, "Well, yeah, you're just free to sin, not free from sin." And so I hear both of those voices in my head, and I've seen both in play where we become so rigid that we're unable to extend the same gospel grace of the gospel to those who are already in faith in Christ. But then also I see a, a significant danger where we get to a place and we are just saying like, well, you don't have to be holy because he's holy. We ignore the, that passage. We ignore the fact that like, no, Paul does seem to indicate we should strive to sin no more because we're free from sin, right? right? Or in First John, say these things to you, not so that you won't sin, but so that when you do sin, mm-hmm. you repentance and you will be cleansed from all unrighteousness. Mm-hmm. That passage remains true too. So I see this huge dichotomy of like the extent of the gospel and grace mm-hmm. to both believers and unbelievers and God's faithfulness to it. And I also see the upward call of Christianity to become more like Christ. And how dare we not do that? Right. And I couldn't agree more. I think the the, the hinging point, though, (laughs) is... Where's the hinge? Tell me. (laughs) No. Like, what does the church do in response to those that will not be transformed? 
what do we do? Mm-hmm. Do we allow them to remain in community? Do we tell them that they have to leave? Do we do a? Do we take the? Do we take? Do we take Jesus' teaching on the wheat and the weeds? Right. Like, hey, the angels will sort it out at the end. Right. Or do we take Paul's teaching on do not associate with them and treat them as an unbeliever? I don't know. <laughs> Cameron, you're supposed to know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I think that, like... You have the teaching of Jesus. Okay, it's like there's, the, there's always these things where you have like you have the teaching of Jesus, mm-hmm. the things that he like flat out taught. Yeah. Then you have the practice of Jesus, mm-hmm. which is not always. There's not really There's not really a, like a distinction there. Mm-hmm. You're the teaching of Paul. Yeah. Well, you don't have a whole lot of like the teaching of Paul ends up being the practice of Paul for us. Yeah, because he's giving instructions yeah, a lot of times. And then we're gaining principles from that. Yeah. Right. So the question is, is do, you, do we want, one, is do we believe that there is a, I mean, I guess you could call it a contradiction. Not really. But like, is there a difference between Paul's perspective on the matter and his experience in it than Jesus teaching on the matter and his interaction with those who are like either followers or not followers of him. Yeah. You know, he was, he, he, Jesus was not afraid to send people away either. No. He says, you don't have any idea what it takes to follow me. Right. No. And right. so the rich young ruler who went yeah. away sad because he had much money. Right. Um, yeah. Or even disciples like, Hey, foxes have holes. Birds of air, right. they've got a nest. I don't even have a place to lay down my head. Right. So if you're going to follow me, it's going to be like picking up an instrument of execution and coming. And like many turned away. Right. You came to me Who because you had accept your, this teaching? Right. You came to me because you had your fill of bread right. and fish. Um, so Jesus turned people away mm-hmm. or at least made the cost of discipleship so much that they couldn't accept. Yeah. They couldn't follow. And so maybe it's maybe it becomes a communication of the cost of discipleship. This is what it requires to follow Jesus. Will you follow him or not? Yeah. And then they self-select mm-hmm. whether or not it's something that they will do or not do. Now, still, it feels like, at least experientially for me, that it always, you know, that they're are some who will desire to be a part of community but not live a life of repentance. Yeah. So um, they want to be around the people, mm-hmm. but they their hearts are stubborn. Mm-hmm. They have stubborn hearts. Yeah. So what do we do we allow um, you know, like from Romans, Romans chapter one, do we show contempt for the kindness, patience, tolerance of God that leads them unto repentance by becoming judges, by becoming judgmental of them? Yeah. Or do we say, well, it's our responsibility to hold them accountable? You know, I I wonder. So, like the one one of the passages, there's more passages to talk about, but one of the key passages, I think, is that's in one of the Corinthians, right, where Paul um, tells them to cast the brother out, mm-hmm. um, and that particular circumstance, he was sleeping with his mother. mother. Mother or mother in mother in law potentially, <laughs> um, he was doing something wonky. Um, it, he the way it was the way it's phrased in the text is with his father's wife, um, right. and so it's you know I I don't know I've studied that passage enough to be able to like determine exactly what Paul was trying to if he was trying to be obtuse like trying to obscure the scandalousness of what he was communicating or what but there's a thing in which 
Paul indicates, he says, the like you are tolerating something that even the world does not tolerate. Do you think that that is a interpretive sliding scale? Like, like issue, but like, okay, what's the issue that this guy is like? I guess I'm not sure what you mean. Well, I guess what I mean is like, so that's the passage that's often quoted to talk about church discipline. And, you know, I did a little bit of listening, podcast listening, trying to find churches that practice church discipline and found like, you know, I think I mentioned late last episode, like the one that like has a list of people who are not allowed to take communion. And before communion, they read out that list naming each person and what sin they've done and why they can't take communion, um, which, wow. Um, <laughs> but you, so you've got churches that are doing that and like they, this is one of the passages they were talking about and I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, I'm like, okay, well, like, ha- does, you know, this is one of the few places where Paul says, like, cast them out, treat them as an unbeliever. Particularly, there's that out language. Um, and I'm wondering, like, does the list of things that merit the casting out change? Or is that list stagnant? Well, if you take Paul at his word, he lists the things. Okay. You know, so it's the, I mean, like, the reference is 1 Corinthians 5. Um, and he goes through the, like, yeah, he uses this example of, you know, a man, ha- you, it's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that does not even occur among the pagans. A man has his father's wife and you are proud. <laughs> yeah. Shouldn't you have been filled with grief and put out of your fellowship, the man who did this? Mm-hmm. Okay. And he keeps going. He says, I'm not physically present, but I've already passed judgment on the one who did this just as if I were present. Verse 4, 1 Corinthians 5. When you are assembled in the name of our Lord Jesus, and I am with you in spirit, and the power of our Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over to Satan so that the sinful nature may be destroyed and his spirit saved on the day of the Lord. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, then he talks a little bit about you know, a bad, uh, um, a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. Yep. Get rid of that yeast that a new batch um, without yeast um, may exist for you. For Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Seems to be an allusion to like, hey, how can we dishonor the sacrifice of Jesus as the Passover lamb? Um, I have written you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy and the swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you'd have to leave the world. Mm-hmm. So don't worry about the world. Right. I'm talking about the people within your fellowship, within the church. Mm-hmm. But now I'm writing you that you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater, a slanderer, a drunkard, or a swindler. With such a man, do not even eat. Okay. Uh, God will judge those outside of the church, but you are to expel the wicked man from among you. Which is a reference to Deuteronomy. Mm-hmm. So you could take it super literally. Yep. And say, well, Paul gives us a list of those sins that would be, um, that would be the disqualifying sins from community, Mm -hmm. sexual immorality, greed, idolatry, slander, drunkenness, or swindling. Mm -hmm. Um, I like that word, swindling. Swindling. And then we would have to talk about what it means to be a swindler. Does that include MLMs? Yeah, probably. (laughs) Um. Or do you think that that, do you think that there's, you know, you said either literally 
or like, you know, uh, that that communicates a type of kind of a, maybe a category, but not specifics. Is that where you were going or you're not, you're just not even sure. Yeah. I'm not even sure. I think like, I think there, you know, if you take it like just for face value and say, okay, this is what Paul did and what he instructed the Corinthians to do. Mm -hmm. Uh, he instructed the Corinthians to do so. Would he instruct conduit to do it? Um, is it a purely contextual to this situation type of um, situation? Mm-hmm. Is it a universal or is it a universal command or mandate of the church? Right. Um, and whose responsibility is it to do that, to take that person and expel them? Mm-hmm. The collective body, the leader, the uh, I I think honestly I mean I think probably I think one of Paul's major issues in this situation is not that there is someone among them that is sexually immoral, but is that they are boasting about it, mm. that they've that they are even so debased in their understanding of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That they're boasting about something that is obviously obvious immorality. Yeah. Something that he talks to, to the Romans about the same thing. He was like, you know, God has given you over to shameful lusts. Mm-hmm. And, and you are actually approving and applauding of those who do these such things. Yeah. You know? um, and so while... I don't necessarily, I wouldn't necessarily go so far as to say, well, Paul's not actually worried about the sexual immoral person as much as he's worried about the boastful attitude of the Corinthians in the face of sin. I don't know that I could go that far. Right. But there does seem to be like a correlation in the passage of like, it's not just that he's sexually immoral. It's that he's sexually immoral and considers it like to have zero effect on his standing as a brother. Yeah. It's... That he's sexually immoral, and no one cares. Mm-hmm. He doesn't care. He does, and not only is he sexually immoral, he's more sexually immoral than even the world is. Mm-hmm. Pagans don't do this, Paul says. Right. Um. So. So do you feel like that fits a different and like and I do think you know I can't make a justification from that directly from that passage necessarily but I do think that there is a we have to I do think there's a cultural bridge that we have to bridge or gap that we have to bridge when it comes to we live in a world where Sexual immorality is the norm for both heterosexual and homosexual people. Mm-hmm. It is so normalized mm-hmm. across the board mm-hmm. in so many ways. It's normalized, it's rationalized. It's yeah, right. Um, and when that is the default position for someone who comes into the church, you know, does that? Does that context change the way that we have to apply this? And, you know, and then this also gets into matters of like church membership versus church attendance and who belongs to the flock. Um, Yeah. And like, yeah, I mean, Paul, yeah, here Paul includes kind of a rationale for why they should be expelled. Right. Which is a little yeast works its way through the whole batch of dough. Mm-hmm. You know, so do does the church leader put others in fel- in the fellowship in danger by not pulling out the bad yeast? Mm-hmm. I think it's hard to argue anything any other any other direction direction. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. 
but um, there's not, I don't know if there's really any buts about it. I, I just don't know. I don't know how to do that. And if I'm being honest, I don't know if I'm prepared to do that. Mm-hmm. Because at what point do I stop? At what point does my own sin disqualify me from being in fellowship? Right. Is it is it like a heart and spirit of repentance? Is that what the issue with Paul here is? Is that there's there's no heart and spirit of repentance? There's no recognition that this is immoral. There's no recognition that there that there is sin here. Mm-hmm. So. So other hearts already fully darkened, fully right. hardened. They're they're here and they're like, it's it's not a. Mm-hmm. They're unrepentant in it. Yeah. So yeah, maybe that is you know, hey, I'm you know this person is obviously living in sin. It's patently obvious to everyone in the community. Mm-hmm. They're being, they're being, they're they're allowed to live in sin without any sense of like. Consequence. Consequence. Up until the point where it appears as though there's an affirmation of mm-hmm. the lifestyle that's being lived. Could run this back into the conversation about the about the conference, like right, right, and and uh, and the the apparent affirmation by way of inclusion in community. Mm-hmm puts others in danger. Yeah. Of saying, well, it's okay. That's okay. Celebrate it. Applaud it. I think that I think the way you just formulated that, I think that really gets to the key of that passage. Mm-hmm. That the public open and affirming nature mm-hmm. of the unrepentant sin. Yeah. And I think when you when you formulate it that way, I think that creates some different boundaries. Sure. Than just kind of like, you know, sin hunting. Right. Right. Yeah. I agree. That wasn't like, that's not a pre-planned methodology in my head, but it, it just, it feels like it's faithful to the passage, however uncomfortable that is. Mm -hmm. Without without understanding it as like you said, like it's just we're going to go run around and sin hunt and get everyone out of the church. That's not, that's immoral right. or impure in any way. Yeah. Cause we wouldn't have a church. We, they're, they're, right. It was like, no one is righteous. Not even one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, right. Um, because we have people who like Paul do what they do not want to do. Yeah, us. Yeah. Right. So. Okay. Yeah. Well, well, I don't know if there's anything else that I have about this. <laughs> got pages of notes here. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't. I don't know if I have anything. I don't have anything else here. Yeah. I mean, I think that as hard as it, you know, this is. It is not an uncomplicated pastoral issue. It's a com- it, it's a complicated it's, pastoral issue. I like nine double negatives. Um, <laughs> it makes me sound smart. Um, <laughs> it's a complicated pastoral issue. It's a complicated church issue. It's a complicated family issue, mm-hmm. right? Like it impacts families and like that percentage of families impacted by conversations like this will only increase Mm -hmm. and churches that it impacts will increase. And, you know, we do have to find a way to be faithful to the whole counsel of God. Mm -hmm. And that's hard work. Mm -hmm. So agree. Yeah. Well, we thank you for listening with us here on this uh, topic the last uh, two weeks. Um, as always, um, drop us a question or a comment um, wherever you're listening. Uh, 716-201-0507 is a text line where you can text us any questions that you might have or comments. Uh, pre- please like, share, and subscribe to this wherever you're listening to it, and we'll catch you on the next one. And we'll see you next time. <laughs>